his reforms didn't last much past his own life. Bad leadership followed Josiah, and the people went right back to their old habits, living for themselves. Jeremiah gives you a taste of how God feels about this. Jeremiah chapter 6, As a well pours out its water, so Judah pours out her wickedness. So these people who had been miraculously saved out of Egypt, out of slavery, brought through the wilderness 40 years, brought into this land that they didn't do anything to deserve. And now they're pouring out wickedness. Violence and destruction resound in Judah. Her sickness and wounds are ever before me. The word of God is offensive to my own people. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. The priests dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, but there is no peace. So Habakkuk and Jeremiah lived in a nation in a spiritual downward spiral. Now, this may be hard for you to imagine, but imagine being in a nation that spiritually is in a downward spiral. That's where Habakkuk and Jeremiah find themselves. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes says this, As fish are caught in a cruel net, so men are trapped by evil times. So the men, like Habakkuk, they were trapped in evil times. And what was especially disturbing to Habakkuk and Jeremiah was that the religious people, the prophets and the priests, they were as corrupt as everybody else. The, the people inside the church didn't look any different than the people outside the church. The, the corruption in the culture was equal to the corruption in the clergy. And so Habakkuk is witnessing this spiral and he begins this wrestling match with God, which we, we see. And what I want to think about here is just a few lessons from this big opening wrestling match with Habakkuk that might have some application to you and I. So the first thing, let's just watch this wrestling match. It's in verse 2, 3, and 4. And I, I want to read it again, but I want to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message because I think it gives a little import here. God, how long? How long do I have to cry out before you, before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day? See, violence breaks out, quarrels and fights are all over the place, law and order fall to pieces, justice is a joke, the wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its end. So this same refrain comes out in both. How long? You feel that heart of Habakkuk. How long? I'm looking at this stuff, all this wickedness that's happening in Judah because the people have abandoned God. So these are your people. Surely you want to act. You want to bring these people back. You want to do something because these are the people who are supposed to be following after you. And from Habakkuk's standpoint, it just feels like God's gone quiet. And the first thing we must notice is that this question that Habakkuk answers, this question of of how long that Habakkuk prays to God is actually the same question God's been asking his people 
for hundreds of years. See, Habakkuk standing there saying, how long before you act? And God's been saying, I've been saying this same thing for hundreds of years. Guys, how long? How long are you going to be in the church? How long are you going to be my people? How long are you going to serve idols? How long? Jeremiah says, you have forgotten me. You've trusted in false god." God's your lustful hungers and your shameless prostitution will eventually be exposed. I've seen your detestable acts, Judah. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How long will you be unclean? See, this question has been asked by God for hundreds of years to his people. And Habakkuk is just now asking it back to God. I think God's like, where'd you hear that, Habakkuk? And I think what we need to see here is that the silence, which seems punishing to Habakkuk, is actually a sign of God's patience. The, 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 the silence that Habakkuk thinks God's gone quiet is actually God being patient. I'm waiting hundreds of years to see if you guys will turn around, if you'll repent. He's asking, how long? How long will you continue to chase after things of the world instead of me? And the reason this is so important is because as, as we begin to assess the wickedness in our own nation, it's very important that you assess the wickedness of your own heart first. See, it's very easy to just cherry pick on other things, other people, other churches, other people group, other problems, uh, political groups. And God's saying, hey, before we, we try to analyze the culture, let's analyze the culture in your heart. Let's start there. It's like he's saying, you who call yourself a follower of Christ, well, well, how long? How long must I call out to you, yet you don't listen? In spite of all I've done, how long will you continue to walk in your ways? Stop blaming what's happening Uh, On other people. Instead, I'm talking to you. How long before you respond to me? That's the question Habakkuk should have been asking in his prayer. God, you have been painfully silent, but that's been patience with your people. And God, I don't know how long, but I'm trying to turn towards you. And may every heart turn towards you. How long? How long? You may have this prayer. It just doesn't look like God's doing anything. And it may be his patience asking you, I'm looking at you first before I'm looking at this situation. How long will you go chasing after other things before you give your heart to me? One one lesson. Second thing we can gather from this wrestling match here. Notice uh, uh Habakkuk's wrestling with God in prayer, these, these vivid descriptions as he describes his culture, violence, iniquity, destruction, strife, conflict, the law is paralyzed, justice is perverted. And then notice who Habakkuk questions. You do not hear. You do not save. You idly look at wrong. Who's the you? It's God. 
whoa. <laughs> Habakkuk's analyzing the culture, then he's starting to analyze God. Hey, it, I'm analyzing this, doesn't look like you're doing anything. I just want you to hear the frustration in Habakkuk's heart. Habakkuk then has a second complaint, verses 12 through 17. So he has his first complaint, God, you've gone silent. And then God says, verse 5, well, I'm going to do something, but if I tell you, you won't believe it. And then Habakkuk says, well, can you tell me anyway? So God tells him, he says, well, I'm going to raise up these evil people, the Babylonians, to come and take over Israel. And Habakkuk says, well, I don't believe it. And God says, well, I just told you, if I tell you, you won't believe it. And so he has this complaint. He can't believe that's what God's going to do. And I wonder if Habakkuk says, I wish I had just gone back to silence because now I don't actually like the answer. And you have the second complaint, verse 12, and it starts off in, in this prayer. All verses represent some of the strongest language in the Bible used in prayer. And he has this little phrase. You see it in verse 12. Are you not? It's, it's not a real question. It's a rhetorical question. Uh, God, you don't need to answer. Just let, keep listening to me. And, and, it, and it comes out of a bewilderment of I just don't get how God's operating right now. One, of the, one Hebrew scholar says this about this prayer. Most of the occurrences of this Hebrew word, are you not, are used in vigorous human arguments. Nothing could have been more abrupt than Habakkuk's statement in verse 12. There's nothing like it in the Bible. Habakkuk is in absolute anguish. So, so when we look at this prayer and we look at his complaints, a couple of things that we can learn about this in prayer. First of all, Habakkuk avoids pretending prayer. This isn't a flowery, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, my soul to keep. I don't even know what that prayer is, but you know that one. It's not, it's not sort of a dinnertime prayer. It's not just, I just say this and just move on. This is a person in agony, wrestling with God. He's not pretending. And it's interesting that when God responds to Habakkuk, he never responds saying, you shouldn't pray that way. Just tells him what he's going to do. See, God understands, and he is personally familiar with the prayer of human agony. God understands, and he is personally aware of the pain of human agony. And when you get in agony, you start asking questions like, my God, my God, where are you? See, God understands that. And Habakkuk isn't trying to pretend. He's not trying to get all dressed up and make everybody think he looks good. He's really in this wrestling match in agony. And the second thing in this prayer, what we see that was helpful for us is Habakkuk avoids abandoning. So he avoids pretending. He avoids abandoning. Now, this would be a very common response if you live in evil times. It's just to abandon God. You're operating in a way that I don't understand. It's opposite of what I thought you were about, and so I just abandon. 
And although few of us would admit, admit it, most of us have an enormous confidence in our capacity to understand things. Few of us will say it out loud, but we live with a, a river of confidence of, I, I do have the capacity to understand many multiple things. So when we fall on evil times, and because we trust in our capacity to understand things, and they don't match up, we say things like, I can't see how God could bring anything good out of this situation. See, I can't see it, and I have this large capacity, so it must not be possible. Or, I don't see why God would allow all this suffering, so I'm not going to believe in God. So, there's a great temptation in evil times to, to think more of yourself, and because you can't understand it, then you have a tendency to walk away. Maybe you're sitting in church and you haven't walked away from this building, but in your heart you've walked away from God. In Habakkuk's bewilderment, he doesn't abandon. Instead, he, he wrestles. He, he can't see how everything's going to work out, but he's not so enamored with his own capacity to understand that he walks away. He, he understands, I don't have any other place to go, so I'm going to stay engaged. I'm going to keep wrestling. It's very familiar to Job 13. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Same kind of bewildering engagement in prayer. So he doesn't pretend he doesn't abandon. Third thing we learn here in this prayer is just looking at God's response, verses 5 through 11. When Habakkuk finishes his first prayer, verse 4 I can't say for sure, but I think what he was anticipating was because he had lived through the, the reign of King Josiah, this godly king who found the word of God, who began to bring the church and the culture back towards God, I think Habakkuk would have been thinking, God, send another king like King Josiah. This is what we need. We, we had it. Now we have these bad kings. Can you send somebody back like that? So I, I think that's what Habakkuk was thinking would happen. And so in verse 5, God sits Habakkuk down and just try to put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes. He says, look, see, wonder, be astounded. I'm going to do a work in your day. You wouldn't even believe it even if you were told before I am raising up. Behold, I am raising up. And what would, if we just stop there and ask Habakkuk, what is God raising up? What would he say? Another godly king. He's going to answer. It's going to be astounding. It's, I'm not even going to believe it when I see it. All this anticipation by Habakkuk. And God says, behold, I'm raising up the Babylonians. It's just hard to appreciate how difficult this was emotionally for Habakkuk. They're, they're going to come and take your people Put many of them to death, occupy their home, occupy your homes, and then ship most of you back to Babylon to be slaves for 70 years. This is why Habakkuk is in bewilderment. It might be like if you said, I've spent years, Paul, 
praying for revival in America. And then one, God, one day God says, yeah, I've heard your prayers. I'm sending ISIS. They're going to take over your homes. That's what it's like. Hey, I have heard your prayers, and I'm responding to your prayers. And I'd be like, yeah, God heard my prayers. I mean, I waited, and some great king, some great ruler is going to come in. I'm sending ISIS. Come on. It's, it's a 180 from what I anticipated. Not only with my own experience, but when, I, when I'm looking at God, I'm like, this isn't what you do. This isn't how you operate. So, so Habakkuk is an absolute bewilderment. So two points of application in just listening to God's response. So we had a couple of points of application thinking about Habakkuk's prayers, not pretending, is not abandoning. Now we hear God's response here in these verses. First point of application I think we can take away. And I want to say this carefully, and I also want to say it as a warning. A warning to Christians who are a little too overconfident and a little too hasty in assigning to God how he's going to work things out. This prayer should slow you way down in assigning, I know how God's going to work things out. I bet Habakkuk knew how God was going to work out. He just didn't realize the timing, but he, but he knew how it was going to work out. And with some frequency, I hear people hastily assign with certainty their strong feelings to God. And, and because they feel this really, really strongly, they just know God's going to operate in that way. And when Habakkuk hears God's response, it's 180 degrees from what Habakkuk wanted. So I want to say it's really, really fine to really, really want something. That's fine. I'm not trying to take that away from me. I'm not trying to take it away from you. I really, really want something. It seems like this would be the best thing from what I can tell. That's fine. Just slow down in assigning your wants to God's wants. Slow way down. Second, we have to resist the temptation to judge what God is doing by our own standard or our own timetable. Habakkuk learns that God plans on using the wicked, evil, unjust Babylonians to punish the Israelites. I'm going to use really, really bad people to punish just quite bad people. And so Habakkuk is scratching his head like you and I would be and asking ourselves this question. How could God possibly save his people through evil and injustice? Evil and injustice? Is it possible for God to save his people through evil and injustice? See, this is the question on Habakkuk's mind. I've just heard that evil and injustice is going to come in. How is it possible that God saves people through evil and injustice? And I want to ask you that question. Is it possible for God to save people through evil and injustice? What's the answer? Yes. In fact, that's a biblical pattern. It's not a one-time event. This is a pattern that happens over and over again. 
And we don't have time, but you just go back to the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph? All evil and injustice till the very end. And what does Joseph say? You meant it for evil. But God meant it for for good. Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul's preaching the gospel. And he says this, I want you to know that through Jesus, through the cross, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And to put that in context, then Paul quotes Habakkuk. And he says, I'm going to do something in your days you would never believe even if someone told you. Do you see? What Habakkuk sees is is a tiny shadow of what's going to come ahead. And Paul understands that, so he assigns Habakkuk's disbelief to say, well, you wouldn't even believe what God's really about, Habakkuk, if you could see it. So it's possible that when we view our circumstances as everything is falling apart, God's redeeming those same circumstances in order to have his plan fall perfectly together. It's possible. Now, there are going to be plenty of times where you're going to live through evil times. Whether it's a situation you're in, in a small way, or where you feel like we are as a nation, or, or what's happening around the globe. But in those times, you have to trust in the goodness of God. That he's about things that that we don't have the capacity to understand. Now, this is is so hard. I, I mean, I'm saying things, but they're very hard to do. And very difficult when you're in it. Because if I were sitting here, I'd say, yeah, well, I got one for you, preacher. What about this one? I, I understand that. And so maybe if you're in that bewildering place, you could come forward and I'll pray for you. Every parent understands this. Every parent understands that your child has to go through pain. That they can in any way understand but it actually is to their benefit. You know this, do you not as a parent? Morgan was one year old. She had to have an x-ray. Well, at one year old, you can't say, hey, be still. So we need a technician or a nurse or somebody to come in and hold your one-year-old down. Or one of the parents can do it. Nancy's like, <laughs> can't do it. Paul, you hold her down. She's, she's on this table, you know, x-ray machine going over, making sure everything's okay. I'm pinning her down. And she's screaming out, Dad, can you help me? Not with those words. But the whole time, screaming, hoping her dad can help her. And what's her dad doing? Pinning her down. Because that's what's best for her. So you could be crying out to God. You're, you're the one. And it's possible that he's pinning you down for things that you cannot see right now.
So Habakkuk does what's very hard for everybody to do. The last lesson we have here is he waits. I'm going to take my stand. I'm going to watch. He doesn't walk away. Very tempting. He waits. And God warns him, hey, it may even seem slow. Chapter 2, verse 3, but wait for it. In the Bible, waiting for God means is a means of our growth. When you and I faithfully wait through evil times, we're proclaiming to everyone around us that we serve a God who's worth trusting. See, the whole world is... Looking, is there somebody we can trust in even in evil times? Well, when you're in it and you're saying, I'm trusting God, you're proclaiming to God and to everyone around, there's a God who's worth trusting. I don't need to know the future because I trust in a God who holds the future. And all of the promises that we'll look at next week in chapter 2 that God promises to do, All of those promises are fulfilled after Habakkuk is dead. And I wonder if that's okay for you. Or do you have to see them all right now? Someone came here today just to hear me say, don't leave your post. I mean, I know it's tempting To want to walk away. I know it's tempting to abandon. I know it's tempting to say. I don't get how God's operating. I understand that. Don't walk away. Stay at your post. Wait. It may be longer than you anticipated. But in the end. God is working together. All things in a way. That when you see them. You'll say. I know you were pinning me down back there. But I didn't see that it really was for my good. Thank God. Isaiah eight seventeen. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from me. Yet I will put my trust in him. Waiting helps you lay down your burden of needing to be omniscient. So you may find yourself in this difficult place this morning. Habakkuk is a tough little book. It's a tough little prophet. You may be saying, how long? And God may be saying, hey, that's the question I'm asking you. He may give you an answer that's 180 from what you anticipated. And can you wait? Can you trust? Let's pray together. Lord, what a... I'm so thankful... For a man in the Bible that has this raw emotion, these, these prayerful, frustrating complaints to, to you, helps us know how to, to pray ourselves, how to stay engaged, to, how to be a wrestler. And so I, I pray just for your divine providence. Some people came here this morning. This is the only time they're going to be here to visiting for the summer. This may be... The moment you've just been waiting to have them here. How long, how long are you going to be running in the opposite direction? Will you trust me even if I have you pinned down?
Will you wait? Lord, take all of the goodness that you've given us and use it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My, my exhortation, my challenge is, what, what team are you on? Or just, you just come, you sit, and you leave. You're excited about Christ Community Church. You're just not on a team. Well, whose arm is, are you holding up? What, what front-line ministry are you involved in? What, what if a year from now you'd look back and say, well, yeah, we, we went through this Bible and it was great, but I, I never was I never got to know anybody. I never got on a team. I never went out and, and took any risk. I, I didn't do any of that. I don't want that to happen one more year. I want you to be on a team. And you remember the small group study you did, the sermon series, but you have names. You start having names that are part of your last chapter. You, you and I have to be on a team. We can get so much further, so much faster together. 
working on you internally and doing what God wants us to do externally. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful.